Hey everybody, I'm Kristen Lago. And I'm Jody Storm Sullivan. Welcome to the He Said, She Said podcast. So basically, you know, sports media journalism is heavily populated with male reporters, that male voice. But did you ever wonder what she said? Now you don't have to. We're here, we're filling it in, and we got you. And you can listen to us on Wednesday nights on SoundCloud and watch us on YouTube. Definitely. So we have a plan, segment ideas, and I think we should start right now with our fast pitch. Fast pitch. So both Kristen and I have 60 seconds on the clock to pitch a story to each other. All right. You, you ready? ready? Am yeah. I first? Okay. So while I was looking today at what I would do for my fast pitch, I have been um, pretty much ever since Tim Tebow was on campus when he was trying out for the major leagues for baseball, I've been sort of infatuated with how he's going to do. Um, just going from football to baseball is something you really don't see that often, um, or even a dual sport professional athlete in general. So today he played in his first instructional league game, and in his first at-bat, of course, what does he do? He hits a home run in Florida, so he's back in Florida playing down there, and I just think that was crazy. I don't know if you have an opinion on this, but I don't know how I feel about him kind of getting drafted. I feel like it was just because he's Tim Tebow and everybody knows who he is. Um, he's played, obviously, in the NFL, didn't do so hot there, went into broadcasting, and now he's in baseball. So I don't know how I really feel about this whole subject. thought it was interesting. And, of course, he has a highlight already on his reel with the home run. So Of course, just typical Tebow things, just first pitch at his bat. I also watched that this morning. But, yeah. Oh, there's right. mine. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm good. So staying with baseball, yeah. David Ortiz, big poppy, one of my favorite players growing up as a kid watching sports. Um, he's retiring this season, so what does he do? He goes undercover as a Lyft driver and drives a bunch of people around Boston. I went to Boston this past summer. The city absolutely has my heart. I love it. And I was just dying laughing the entire time watching this video. He's saying things like one girl is like, oh, yeah, like I have a couple of like Ortiz shirts. Like he's my favorite player. And he goes, all of his shirts are my shirts. And I was oh, just God. like, oh, classic. He's so funny. And I think he found a new profession after baseball, either – comedian because he's really funny but i mean like there's always the lift driver yeah. and you could probably do both because like lift you can make your own Did schedule anyone recognize that. him uh, one of the one of the guys one of the guy passengers kind of did he you could kind of tell towards the end of the video Poppy goes like oh you know these Boston fans they recognize me because of my smile and flashes his like big signature grin in front oh, of the camera God. which speaking of a Poppy smile I have a nice canvas print in my room at home of him smiling oh, so, so you're like, a big I, fan oh big fan big Poppy big big Poppy fan there yeah. you go. Yeah. I love that. It kind of reminds me. I've loved these whole like <clears throat> undercover things. I don't know if you saw Drake did the same thing a while back where he went undercover and people bashed on him. <laughs> so luckily, he, David didn't have the same thing there. But I think yeah. it's so funny when they get to do yeah, things I know, like, like that. Demi Lovato's done one. I might. Demi, I usually take Uber. Maybe I'll have to start taking Kim Lyft. Kardashian's done one. That would be odd. I don't know how that would be. But she like was they totally made her over. Like he just had a wig on and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. So. I think that'd be funny, yeah. but no one would ever suspect it. No. Not so at all. now like, we'll have why? to be you're on the lookout. Lift driver, like I know, but now it's happened class. enough times we gotta be on the lookout, <laughs> right? Yeah. All right. So after this, I think we can just kind of jump into our top stories, kind of what we saw that catch uh, caught our eye while we were just kind of scrolling around doing things that sports journalists do. Yeah. So I think we should start. I know it's kind of on a sad note, but this whole week everybody's been talking about this. Um, just, uh, Jose Fernandez, he was obviously, uh, we found out he died in a boating accident on Sunday, early Sunday morning. His boat ended up hitting a jetty and flipped over and they were killed in the accident. 
But I think the aftermath is what has been so noteworthy and so newsworthy. Just the whole team, the whole MLB, and just the whole sports kind of fandom in general across the United States and around the world has been just amazing in terms of remembering him. I don't know if you watched the game when D. Gordon hit that home run, but I had tears in my eyes yeah. watching that when he ran home and was just bawling his eyes out with his team, all of them wearing number 16, paying tribute to him, um, and then them t- coming out and saying they're going to retire his number. So, I mean, I don't watch baseball that much, but I think that was a really special moment in sports where you just see, like, the sport kind of transcend itself and everybody coming together for the common good. I know um, Noah Syndergaard, the pitcher for the Mets, he um, pitched the game there because they were playing again, and they ended up winning, but he sent out a tweet, and it was like, usually I send out, you know, a funny tweet after we win, but I can't today because I pitched on his mound. And so across this the sport. I think it's just been really special the way the baseball community has come together. Yeah, and I think after like the news was released um, in the morning, you had all these players just across the MLB. The Marlins did suspend their game for that day, yeah. but players across the MLB, like one that stuck out to me was Puig, went and taped up in the dugout, um, and this happened all around dugouts across the MLB that were playing on Sunday. And I just think that each sports community, each kind of sports association or whatever, has their own way of kind of reacting to stuff like this. And I think yep. the MLB really did a stand-up job and something that we haven't seen in a long time um, just in how they supported the Marlins, backed them up, and then just the Marlins organization as a whole to come out and do everything that you said. And that was so emotional. I remember I was watching highlights of their game, I think, like Tuesday afternoon, I was watching some of the stuff that yep. people have been putting together. And it was just emotional between seeing all the fans upset and, like, just crying and everything and all the players which like you could tell that that Marlins franchise like they were a family and they were a community and oh, yeah. as it transcended across the sport and the MLB as a whole like you can truly tell like the MLB is a family and that was just really touching and yeah it's a really sad subject and it's really unfortunate but the way that kind of everyone is able to just move with it and come together and just yeah. touch on and it especially how way. they've been releasing like all the aspects of his life that people didn't even know about like I mean, I knew he was Cuban. I knew he'd come from Cuba. But all these Cuban players kind of rallying around him as sort of the symbol of the freedom that baseball gives to a lot of them because, you know, I mean, he had to escape. The whole story of him jumping off the boat when he was coming from Cuba and saving his mother or they put out a little video of when his grandma and him were finally reunited and she got to see him pitch. And then I think the worst part about this is that not only was he only 24, but he was, you know, a dad-to-be. So I think that's probably the worst part about this story is that, you know, but at least, you know, that once um, his child is born, you know, he'll know what a stand-up guy his dad was and how the baseball community came together, if only for one week, yeah. to honor him. So, And you know that his child now has a lot of dads in that oh, yeah. community that are going to be there to support him and remind uh, just how great of a person uh, their father was. Oh, yeah. So let's move a, a not so sad of a subject, yeah, but definitely. still a little depressing for, I guess, those involved. But in college football this week, uh, or last week, we had LSU who finally kind of pulled the trigger and they fired their head coach, Les Miles. It was a huge deal in the college football world. He's been there for, I believe, 12 seasons now, which is a huge tenure as head coach. I mean, for anyone at USC, we haven't seen that long of a head coach in a while. So yeah. looking at that, um, and there's been a lot of talks. I think it's just interesting that they chose to fire him midseason. I don't know how I feel about that, just coming from like an AD perspective. When do you finally pull the trigger? Why Why not wait to the end of the season? I don't know if you have any thoughts on just firing the coach midseason. I don't know. I feel yeah. like that's even harder on the players. Yeah. Going through these last couple of seasons, just kind of watching USC and covering it as a team from kind of a media aspect, yeah. 
to have a coach fired in the middle of the season, yes, there's certain times where like it's acceptable and kind of needed, but other times it just it causes a whirlwind through the program. Oh, yeah. You have these players who lose their head coach. Maybe they supported the head coach, maybe they didn't, but you lose that leadership aspect. And I just think that that's really interesting that LSU chose now to do it because I feel like all of last season, after every LSU loss, it was like, oh, the LSU, LSU program's like going to fire less miles, and they never did. And I remember seeing all of these tweets and everything like, oh, official sources say that like less miles hasn't been fired yet. And then like quotes from him being like, oh, like I have a comfortable standing in the athletic department and all of that, which as you come to find, it's not true. Like he was mm-hmm. fired last week. Um, and it was strange. I know that like the last three seasons, his winning percentage has dropped from about a 0.79 yeah. win percentage to just about a six point or a 0.65 kind of win percentage. But yeah. yes, it's a drop. Yes, it's expected. Um, and I know that there were a lot of issues kind of surrounding that. So while it's not a surprise, he was a coach on kind of a decline, but I, I am against coaching or I'm against letting a head coach go during the middle of the season. I agree. I mean, if you're already, I guess it's a matter of the fans. I know that program is such a strong program in um, Louisiana and just like everybody rallies around that team in that area. So I can understand coming from the USC perspective, um, everybody here has seen that too. But what I find really interesting is that their interim head coach uh, we've seen here, it's Ed Orgeron, and there's been a lot of talk from the sports community. A lot of the sports analysts have been coming out, kind of giving their ideas of who should take over, and not many have been saying Ed Orgeron, which is really interesting. I think um, you were telling me that he's, what is it now? The- he's, I read an article, people are calling him the best interim head coach in college football. I don't know if that's exactly what you want to be called, but I guess... No, I mean, I guess it's cool to have a title and to be the best at something. But I mean, interim head coach, I don't know. I think if I was, if I were at Odron, like I'd want to be able to coach a program. Like, yeah, he's the defensive coordinator over there. So that's kind of nice to be in charge of one of the aspects of a team. But I think at least I'm not a coach, but I think for most coaches, it's kind of their end or eventual goal to be a head coach or at least a coordinator at a high ranked program, which I mean, which LSU is Mm -hmm. maybe not so much in the last seasons, but they have been able to still get high program. Yeah. Yeah, high recruiting classes, still that legacy program. And speaking of legacy programs that are kind of finding some issues in their way, I think we got to touch about something that's close to us and something that we know near and dear to our hearts. Yeah, we can talk about what in the world is going on (laughs) down here in Southern California with the USC football program. I think that's a question everybody has been trying to answer over the past couple of years. I think now it's just kind of sort of hitting that pinnacle point where we're kind of out of ideas we're out of proof of what we need to do to make this program or what they need to do to make this program what it used to be um and we've seen kind of everybody talking about this they address coaching issues is it clay helton's fault was it not the right coaching decision is it pat hayden's fault who started us down this you know downward spiral with the hiring of lane kiffin and then coach sarkeesian and then coach helton is it the players do they not have a drive to win we've seen um issues outside of practice field with EJ Price. Um, the whole issue sort of on the field but off with Sam Darnold and Max Brown and then with Osa Messina and Don Hill. What is going on? Do you have an opinion on what you think is the reason why this program just can't seem to get it together? I think it's just kind of consistent turmoil, turmoil over about like the last six or so seasons. Yep. It's just it's hard to find I mean all of the coaching changes it's hard to find something stable and for something the players to grasp and I think I it's just hard it's instability it's turmoil and it's kind of a mess um I remember 
this weekend after Les Miles was uh, let go from LSU. I swear, within two minutes of this announcement being made, my whole Twitter feed was like, oh, USC, like, pick up Les Miles, like, blah, 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 fire Helton, which, again, I said earlier, I'm not the biggest fan of head coaches being let go in the middle of the season, so I honestly don't think that this is a step USC should take. I think that... Pat Hayden, as athletic director, hired Helton and his fa- and his staff. They should be able to coach the full season. I know Hayden obviously isn't here anymore. We have Lynn Swan. Mm-hmm. But I think at the end of the season, is it going to be an appropriate time for Lynn Swan to sit down, kind of reevaluate the state of the program, and if he deems it needed uh, that Helton needs to be let go and USC needs to find a new head coach, then I definitely think that those are steps he should take. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying, of course, that he can't be looking for a new head coach now if he's thinking of leaning that way but I think Helton should have the opportunity and his coaching staff should have the opportunity to coach the team through the rest of their season because USC does not need their third head coach fired midseason in something like four or five seasons because that's just ludicrous. What I found interesting about this whole thing is that everybody were one in three which is something we haven't seen since 2001 so a very long time here at USC but on social media on TV we've seen everybody sort of pushing forward this idea that we've seen this before with Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll came in, nobody liked him. He was one of the most unliked coaches that we've ever brought in. And that's very different from Coach Helton, who everybody rallied around. Even the team loved him, put it out on social media, was not afraid to talk to the press about how much they were excited for this hire. But they have the same starting record. Actually, Pete Carroll went one in four in his first five games. So I'm wondering, do you think because the Utah game was such – Everybody sort of blamed that loss on a coaching decision to not go for it on fourth and short. Do you think that's why everybody is sort of having the struggle where they can no longer compare Clay Helton to Pete Carroll 15 years ago? Yeah, so I think that that coaching decision is kind of where it slips. Again, you have that fourth and short decision, Mm -hmm. which is something that we saw against Stanford. Um, They made the decision not to go. They were something at like the Stanford, I think, 40, and they made the decision to punt, where it's like you're down 17 at this point. At, le- at least go for it. Yeah. You're, you're down 17. you got to have a fighting chance. It was at that point they just kind of were like, oh, well, we're out of this game. Like, have fun with the last X amount of minutes in the fourth quarter. Um, so I think that that's why a lot of, like, USC fans have really been really yeah. disappointed in. Because something oh, with yes. um, Pete Carroll's losses his first season, they were close and they were competitive losses. Mm-hmm. Now, Alabama and Stanford were not close and not really competitive at all. Utah, the offense looked new. I liked the addition of Sam Darnold. I he think that a was fire. a great decision. Yeah, he brought a good fire to that offense. Uh, we had we saw um, Juju Smith-Schuster. He racked up 98 yards in that game, which was one shy of how many yards he had in the first three games, which <laughs> is huge. Insane. And, I mean, he's talked about as one of the best receivers in college football. Well, now so. his dra- draft stock <laughs> is dropping. Yeah. So that should be interesting to see with Sam Darnold coming in. I have mixed feelings on that still. I do think they should have started him from Alabama. I think the reasoning that the coaching staff pushed forward with, oh, we didn't want to start a freshman quarterback against Alabama, we were going to lose to Alabama no matter who we started, no matter what team we put out on the field. We were going to lose to the number one team, maybe not by such a large margin, but I think we were going to lose either way. They weren't going to compete. So I think he should have started from the beginning. I honestly think we might have had a better showing at Stanford. If that would have happened, you saw Sam, he throws fearlessly. He doesn't have any, you know, qualms about throwing the ball. And he can run out of the pocket, which is, I think, something we didn't see in Max that a lot of Trojan fans are really excited about. And looking forward to ASU, it's going to be a tough game again. Um, They are undefeated, which is 
ASU is always a competitive game, but when they're playing a great season, I don't <laughs> I don't even know what to expect from our team coming forward. What are you thinking? I don't know. Not only is ASU undefeated, but they're averaging 48.8 points per game, Jeez. which is insane. They had a game earlier this season. It was like 61 to 55, and they took out the victory, which is just insane. It's going to be up to, I think, the USC defense. If they can figure out how to slow down uh, Manny Wilkins, who's their quarterback, mm-hmm. he's a dual threat. He has something like 1,300 yards already this season between passing and his rushing. So I think if USC can figure out to kind of slow him down, because I think when he's firing, their offense is just off the rails, and that's why they can score so many points. So I think it's going to come down to if Pendergast can create a system through their defense to be able to slow him down and limit their offensive scoring, I think USC's offense can find a spark of their own and kind of get going on an ASU defense that has also allowed a lot of points, almost just as many as they've been scoring. And if USC loses again, do you think that's when we really see the conversation sort of switch to is this coaching staff right? Do you think this is this has to be the turning point or it's kind of the end-all be-all for the staff? Yeah, I think if USC loses and it comes down to maybe some coaching decisions again or play calling even, I think it's going to be put into question is Helton learning on the job, mm-hmm. which at USC, a historic program with a strong legacy of success your head coach should not be learning on the job. We should, or the university should be able to find a head coach that is seasoned, has experience, and is going to come in and really kind of buckle down and lead this program in the right direction. I'm okay if there's some coordinators who are maybe first time or younger coordinators because they can be coached by a head coach that carries a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. But right now we're seeing a first time head coach. Yeah, he was interim last season, but nothing compares. Yep. So. I guess we'll have to wait and see come Saturday night. Yeah, that 5.30 p.m. kickoff. I'm excited. prime time. Here we go. (laughs) I haven't seen that in a while. Yeah. (laughs) So moving away from USC football, I know we could talk on that all day, but we're going to go to a little thing we like to call the seventh inning stretch. This is where we sort of take a break from traditional sporting events, talking sort of not talking stats, not talking players, but this (laughs) video has been everywhere. I mean, you hear all the time about people proposing to their significant others at games at professional sporting events but this one went terribly wrong would that be it had a good ending though i gotta say i think baseball (laughs) well just engagements or proposals at professional sporting events like yeah i love sports and that would be really cool but i don't know if i really want it there on the big screen like that's a super public moment over it at this (laughs) point i think it was cute when we first started to see it um you're like oh how cute they're proposing at their favorite sports together or their favorite team but now I mean with that one I think it was just like come on dude <laughs> I felt so bad though I was re-watching it a little bit earlier today and you could tell he's kind of searching around so basically the situation is he drops his engagement ring I don't know if it fell out of the box or if he like had it in a jacket and it fell out yeah, yeah, yeah. but so he's searching around the ground everyone in the everyone around is like looking you can tell his girlfriend um is super like nervous and they're and on kind the big screen at this point oh, yeah, yeah. the <laughs> Um, play-by-play announcers are talking about them. Yep. The ESPN, they were covering. Their announcers were kind of following and just talking about them. And I'm just like, this poor couple. Like, this guy comes here. He's like, I got this romantic proposal idea. Let me take my girlfriend to a Yankees-Red Sox game and let me propose. And then, oh, wait, I'm going to lose the ring. And he's, like, looking and he's about to cry. And I just... I felt so bad, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is terrible. But luckily, they do find the ring. They do. She says yes. They have to cut to a play a little bit because it is a baseball game, (laughs) not just like a, hey, look at uh, this couple get engaged. They do cut to the play. They cut back to the couple, and he's on his knee. They found the ring, and happy, she says yes. It all ends well, but I think it draws the conversation. So as two women, 
would you want to be proposed to at your you know favorite team sporting event at this rivalry game that they were at um, would you like to be proposed to at a professional sporting event let's hear your take you know I'm gonna go ahead and say I think I'm gonna say no mm -hmm. but if it wasn't on the big screen I would hmm. say yes, because that's oh. still kind of a little bit like private of a moment. Whereas like if you're on the big screen, everyone's up there or like everyone can see you. You're in front of everyone. If it's a televised game, who knows? Maybe they'll be there. Like, yeah, that's kind of cool, I guess, for the memory sake of it. But like that's a private ish moment. And like, yeah, yeah, if it's in a public place, that's cool. But I don't think it needs to be broadcast to that entire public place. What about you? I am torn on the subject because I think there's a different... Okay, this one was in the stands. I've seen them when they, you know, work with the team and they go to the half court during the basketball games. <laughs> or I actually haven't seen one in a football game, so that would be an interesting, be interesting one to see. Maybe on the 50-yard line, halftime performance. I don't know. Could be cool. But I think in this situation, I, I think so too. I would want it to be a little bit more private. I think it's different if it was maybe an athlete. Like we saw the college athlete proposing, proposing to his girlfriend after they won the big game. I think that's really cute. That's a good moment to be shared. You're just so emotional. But if it's if you're not part of the team, you're not part of this sort of sports legacy, I think keep it to yourself. I would say if you're not on the big screen and that team is a special sort of moment for you, it's a special experience, you went to your first game together, yeah. I think okay then. But anything else, I would be like, no, dude, sorry. <laughs> I'm just not about it. Also, like, what if they say no? <laughs> that would like, be so – I would feel so bad. I don't know. I'm sure there's been one that's been there like, has on the big to screen. Be. But ugh, I would feel so bad for both of them. Both parties involved, it's just uncomfortable, and you're memorialized forever <laughs> and just broadcast – nationally most yeah. likely if you're and, gonna take it that far and thousands of people are like seeing you say no so like pour on the girl for the fact that she like obviously she doesn't want to get married if she's gonna say no so she's saying no and then you got to feel for the guy who like mustered up all this confidence like i know i'm gonna propose to my girlfriend at this sporting event but so ugh, message to rough. all the fellas don't propose to your girlfriend Unless or, you're not on the big screen. Maybe, like, sneak it in just, like, subtly in conversation. Just, maybe see if she's okay with it. Maybe they're not like us and they want to be on the big screen and they're going to Subtly say yes. discuss it before, then do it. Or, don't. like, get her friends to talk about it with her. Just, like, randomly propose the idea. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe practice so you don't <laughs> drop the ring. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Wouldn't want that to happen. Yep. But, yeah. So, anyways, I hope you enjoyed our first official podcast of the fall. I know we had a good time filming this. Yes. And you can catch us again Wednesday nights on either YouTube or SoundCloud. And um, I... Yeah. So for that, I'm Jody Storm Sullivan. There you go. And I'm Kristen Lago from the USC Annenberg Media Center. This has been He Said, She Said. Ooh. All right. I was like, I didn't know we were going to